What's up, everybody? And welcome into the Burgundy Zone. I am so happy. We are so happy to bring you a very special episode. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. Welcome to the Burgundy Zone. It is World Series week. The Nationals did the impossible. They are World Series champions. Parade Eve. Parade Day Eve, baby. You and I have watched this team since the first day, for the first game. We watched them through the struggles. We, talk, we talked about them going through the rough patches that they were going through. Now, I want to play for you guys a little short little bit that we had with uh, that we had talked about back in May. And this was late May, mind you. I just want to let you guys know. First sentence here, the Nationals. Ever since we recorded on Friday, Max Scherzer was up on Saturday, gave up no runs, zero runs. They were able to win 4-1 um, against the uh, White, White Sox, right? And then yesterday, Steven Strasburg comes out, fans nine or six, and only gives up one run. They win 5-2. Back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs. Wow. I mean, did you get to watch that game? I, w I was blown away by it. Unfortunately, I did not watch the game. But uh, watching the highlights this morning when I woke up, I was just in awe, like... Are they finally have they finally turned the cool? I feel like they turned the corner a couple weeks ago, but have they finally turned that corner where it's just like no more stupid mistakes, no more base running errors, no more infield errors, just power hitting and power scoring, power defense, power Nationals baseball. And, and what I something I I actually had said on Twitter yesterday um, was that back to back that four home runs back to back that the Nationals did hit that is something that can change seasons around. And one example I love to use is the football example was when the New York Giants had the um, fourth and goal stand against the Redskins. It was a regular season game. I think the Giants were like two and four at that time. This was 2009, 2008 when they won the Super Bowl. They had a goal line stand. Michael Strahan talked about it in America's game. They had a goal line stand against the Redskins. They stop them. And then from there on out, they started playing really well throughout the season. I feel like this is one of those things for, for the Nationals. It's just a big momentum building kind of plays. And hitting four home runs back-to-back -back is the kind of juice that the team needed offensively to give them some confidence. Sorry about the delay there. The computer was acting up. But, guys, that was from late May, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, from what I can read here, what was that, Mike? Can you read when that was? I can't. Oh, right here. That was from June 10th. So that was right after they had turned the corner around and when their season really started. And we haven't recorded much. Yeah. We haven't recorded much the past two weeks during this playoff run. So much has been going on. But we have to bring up the fact this Nationals team completely blowing the doors off of every competition they faced in elimination games. Yep. Undefeated, obviously, in all elimination games. And they pulled out the one game the, against the one team that everyone said they had no chance against. Yeah. I mean, at one point, they were going for, like, the major league record of they had won eight playoff games in a row. The record was nine. And, obviously, they lost game three to the Astros at home. But that just says – that's just a microcosm of their season right there. Started off 19-31, but crunch time comes around. And when it really counts, the basket hot – who wins eight playoff games in a row? Like, that's unheard of. Well, obviously, it's unheard of, but that's just ridiculous and crazy. Yeah, and Scherzer, after 
his numb, he, he couldn't even dress himself. Yeah. He had to ask his wife to help dress him on Saturday morning. They and said, this dude was pitching on, what, Monday? Yeah, they said that on the way to the, the, the stadium to get his treatment, the cortisone shots, all that. He said that he was going down GW Parkway. And everyone, anyone from the area that's been down GW Parkway knows it is literally pothole central. Yeah. And he said that every time they hit a pothole, which is like every 10, 5 to 10 feet, it just felt like he was getting stabbed in his whole back, shoulder, left side, or right side. So it's just like for him to be get the shot and two days later come out and pitch, not in the lights out, but not even vintage max, but do enough to get us through and the, for Corbin to come in and close it out for us. I mean, what can you say? That's Scherzer for you, though. The fact that they were able to go back to Houston. You have to imagine, guys, they won those first two games handedly. Imagine the confidence going into going coming back to D.C. and then losing those three games to D.C. And your bats go quiet. They go quiet. You, you barely, you have three hits in game five. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous what, the, what happened to the Nationals offense when they came back to D.C. But give credit to the Astros. Yeah. That pitching staff, they, they really did well. Going against Garrett Cole a second time, we can talk about the umpire screwing everything up. Wrong calls, bad strike zone. I get it. But this is all about being happy today, my friend. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Max Scherzer, being, being able to pitch in that game, and a great game at that, giving up two runs. But I'm not sure about you, but watching that game, I know I was like kind of mad at first game with the first two runs. But I kind of knew, like, you know, the way this Nationals team has been, you, you know, there was no panic. You're like, all right, you know, they do well late in the game. I think they could come back and get right. this done. I mean, again, anyone that's a Nationals fan followed Max Scherzer through his Nationals career knows that he's good for a home run or two in the first one or two innings. So, with that being said, when he gave up the two runs, you know, I was, like you said, I was kind of just like, oh, man, here we go, snowball effect. But in the back of my mind, and at the same time, I was like, you know what? They've been here before. They've done this before numerous times. They've already won two games in Houston before leading up to this. So it's like, mm -hmm. and they've, they've always been comeback wins. So I was like, you know what? I got no worries. Once it got to the seventh inning and it was still 2-0, That's when I was kind of like, eh, it's getting a little dicey here. But again, anyone that's, anyone that's watched this run throughout the playoffs knows that from the seventh inning to the ninth inning is prime time for the Nets. Oh, absolutely. And what we just saw two nights ago, uh, I will never forget. Yeah. Well, uh, sitting on my couch, being completely si silent, seeing Rendon get the home run. You sitting there saying, oh, man, they're down 2-1. Oh, is, the, is it happening? Is it happening? And then and then uh, Soto gets walked. And then here comes the tatted-up redneck, the <laughs> one dude that nobody thought was going to be the saving grace for this team. Yeah. Howie Kendrick hits an opposite oppo home run, opposite field home run, and hits – and hits bong, the barrier. Bong. How amazing was that? I mean, I was talking to you about this yesterday. When I was watching that ball go towards the sands, it was it was like one of those things where, like, you knew it was going to hit. Yeah. Like, it wasn't one of those. It was like, you know, when you have a feeling and you see a, a foul ball come off, you think to yourself, like, oh, please go left, please go left, please. And it never goes. With this one, it was almost like you knew yeah. it was going for the foul it was pole. It like it had no curve to it. It was just yeah. a straight shot directly to the pole. And hearing that sound, that <laughs> bong. <laughs> I screamed so loud. My voice is still messed up from it. Uh, and what amazing game that was. And then also being able to get the extended runs, being able to get some insurance runs yeah. going against that Houston Astros offense, knowing how bad the bullpen has been. But the fact being is, Mike, in this World Series, 
the bullpen was undefeated. They did not give up a lead after the seventh inning of the Nationals. Yeah, I mean, a lot of credit to Davey Martinez. Doolittle, Hudson, pretty much those are the two that they went with yeah. as far as the bullpen and the closers. Corbin was used as a bridge guy. Yeah. But just as far as the bullpen guys go, Doolittle and Hudson, I mean, like they, they been, the bullpen was getting trashed all season, like you said. I mean, they were the worst almost in – at one point, they were the worst in MLB history by a long shot. And for them to get it together, make the moves they did at the trade deadline, shout out to Mike Rizzo, hell of a GM. Yes. Uh, for them to make those moves and then to come together and kind of just like not be perfect, damn, they're sure not even perfect, right. but not be horrible, just somewhere in that nice medium, I mean, it's just said wonders. Yeah, and you, I was thinking about this the other day. Imagine like all of those small little detailed moves that Mike Rizzo did to put the Nationals in this position. Going to get Howie Kendrick, mm-hmm. trading for Trey Turner, bringing in Para, bringing in Rendon, bringing in Para, bringing in Adrubal Cabrera, who had a huge. He had like huge, ninety RBIs coming off as not even an everyday player. Ninety yeah, RBIs. Ninety RBIs. I mean, it, this the way that Mike Rizzo sculpted this team by going to get Max Scherzer, going to get Patrick Corbin, Daniel Hudson. Mike Rizzo deserves a seventy-five percent. It was of funny the because. Back when they were 19 and 31, hate to beat a dead horse, but yep. everyone was calling for Davey's job. Yep. Everyone was calling for Mike Rizzo's job. Told him everyone was saying, "Oh, we should trade off Scherzer. We should trade off Rendon. Since yep. He's not coming back anyway. We need to get pieces for the future." Well, five, six months later, four months later, we're on top of the world. And I'll tell you what, right now, I have a hard on for Juan Soto. When Bergstrom. In game six, when he carried that bat all the way up, I thought to myself, I was like, that pisses me off. I hope the Nationals get a hit off. Because at the time, the Nats weren't really hitting. Mm -hmm. This was early game six. The Nats hadn't hit in three games, really, since they got to D.C. Back in Houston, Bergstrom hits that home run, carries that bat all the way. And I was thinking, I was like, man, I hope the Nationals replicate that. Mm -hmm. Just get something to stick it right at him. Juan Soto not only jacks (laughs) a monster Home run. Every, Almost hits it out of the park. Every home run you hit this series has just been monster. Imagine jazz. being 21 years old in the World Series, down 3-2 in an elimination game for you. You hit a home run. Not only have the premise of, premise of mind to be able to hit that home run in the World Series, but to be able to remember, oh, yeah, I want to carry that bat all yep. the way up to the first base to kind of stick it to Bergstrom. Yep. That, on top of in Game 7 when they put um, Ozuna in the game, that's when I knew they were going to lose that series. Yep. Bad juju yep. because that whole Azuna thing happened during the World Series. They fired their assistant GM during the World Series. I give them a lot of credit for even being able to keep the boat afloat yeah. during all of that catastrophe because I don't know how you could be able to, to stay above water with that going on. Yeah. But the fact being is they still got it done, and it was that kind of that bad juju, that negative energy that Azuna brought. I thought as soon as he came in the game, I said, that's game. I mean, look, every championship team in any sport, you're going to need a couple wrinkles and a couple slip-ups by the other team to get you there. And you can go all the way back to the Milwaukee Brewers series where they look down and out in the elimination game, and all of a sudden the right fielder has that slip-up, ball gets past him, we win the game. You can go to the Dodgers series. We had a couple slip-ups there. The only one we didn't have any slip-ups is when we just destroyed the Cardinals, which not even – I mean, I saw them winning that series, but not even a sweep. No one saw a sweep coming. Yeah. And – Again, the World Series, and then for them, like you said, for the Astros to have that stuff in the off the field going on, for them to have those top two, like great top three, like just mad, like monster pitchers, and for the Nets to overcome that, I mean, it just says it just says a lot. And we could talk about them for another two hours. Just, yeah. just the being the I think the one of the most 
special things about this. You know, obviously, I was very happy about the Caps. The Caps was the DC thing. You know, Caps was DC. And I it know was, it was the first championship, and yeah, since and I know that we we had called it that season. But I'm not as big of a Caps fan yeah. as I am a Nats fan, and I love that parade. I love that environment. But the fact is, I remember watching that first game this season. I remember the 2012 feeling when I was watching that game from center field with Freddie Santos as Drew Storen threw that game away. I, I remember the RFK days, losing 1-0 to the Mets. I remember Alfonso Soriano, Adam Dunn, all of those things. And watching this season go on, and them being at 19-31, and 31, and us sitting here saying, we think they're the exception. Yeah. We think that this team is an anomaly. We have the proof of it. We have the recording. For us to be able to sit here and for it to watch it happen and to watch it actually unfold into a championship team, mm-hmm. I think is something that I'll probably never forget for the rest of my life. And even if the Redskins ever do win a Super Bowl, I think this will be more special to me just because we stuck with them the whole way. And it was so much fun to watch them play. I, I talked about it before. As much as it is fun to watch them play the game, it's a lot more fun to watch them interact with each other yeah. as people. I mean, you can just tell. Like, they're literally, everyone said, they're like, this group of guys right here, I love mm-hmm. them, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you can legitly tell that all 25 of those people, not even just the people that, the AAA players, the people that got brought up for a game or two during the injuries in the beginning of the season. Like, you can just tell that they legit all just, like, love each other. They're, like, good, good, good best friends almost. Like, I mean, this is one of those, like, teams that's going to, like, go down to MLB history. It's just, like, one of, the, like, the best to ever do it. And Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah, Mr. National. Ryan Zimmerman, uh, an incredibly happy for Ryan. Uh, he deserves this one. Out of that his... He is Mr. DC. I mean, he is a Ovechkin. He's been here literally from the beginning since yeah. 05, the first player drafted by the Nets yeah. when they moved from Montreal. He never left during all yeah. the all The, the lows, 100 loss the, seasons. The 90 loss seasons. The constant number one overall pick years ap- year after year. Stuck with the team. Didn't want to get moved. Stuck with him. And even during this season, he said... I. Before this all even happened, he said, I want to be back. Yeah. And I'll even take a pay cut to be back. I just want to be back in D.C. He's Mr. D.C. Yep. He's what we've wanted as fans from somebody on the professional sports teams. To love this city. Embrace the city. To want to be here and bring a championship here. Still waiting That's for that Ryan Zimmerman. player to be that guy. That's Ryan Zimmerman. I mean, I guess me. Kerrigan would be kind of that guy, but yeah. obviously we haven't won anything with the Redskins. Yeah. So. But a lot of credit to Ryan, uh, to Ryan Zimmerman. I think he's one of the most... One of the most people I'm happy for, uh, besides Mike Rizzo and Max Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Max Scherzer being the best and what he's done for the Nationals since he's been here. They paid him a buttload of money. How many, I think we can't even count it on two hands, how many athletes have gotten big paydays to come play in D.C. Yep. and nothing happens. Max Scherzer is one of the only guys to get a huge payday, come here, and to not only play at the same level, but higher. I was going to say he overproduced. Right. <laughs> and the fact that he was able to do that, I love Max Scherzer for that. And I really hope that he stays with us. I hope that they can ge- keep this group together. Yeah. yeah I've said it before. Doubt. I think Rendon's are Chase Utley. And I think that we should be able to keep Soto, Rendon, and Trey Turner for as long as we need them. Yeah. I mean, you heard uh, John Feinstein on the Junkies this morning. Pretty much he was just saying, like, whatever it takes, you have to pay Rendon. Whatever the money takes, whatever the market dictates. And obviously, our run was based off of the elite three pitchers, the top three pitchers we have. I know Strasburg's going to get, he's going to opt out. He's going to command an extra 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars on the market. 
at the end of the day, I know the learners are kind of like cheapskates. They don't want to pay like top, top, top dollar mm-hmm. to players. But look, he just came off of a World Series, all that extra revenue they brought in. Whatever you pay them going forward, you're going to make all that back because you got the World Series. Attendance is going to be up next year. So that's going to be more revenue. You, I think that they should do that. You'll make, think... you'll make all the money back double, yeah. triple fold. And Man. if you have more playoff runs and World Series runs, I mean, come on. We've beat up the learners a little bit on here. Um, one thing I do want to apologize for is I kind of had a, a realization the other day that, you know, I, I gave him a lot of crap for not resigning Bryce, but the fact is we had heard a stat that the top 10 teams in batting average don't make the playoffs, yeah. which tells you the pitching makes the playoffs and pitching wins you games, which, and which is why they didn't want to pay Bryce. They wanted to pay Corbin. They yeah. used the Corbin uh, Bryce Harper money they offered him to pay for Corbin with Max Scherzer and Strasburg. And so I felt bad. I felt bad. I feel like we should give them a lot more credit uh, than what they are due because they knew what to do to win. I mean, it all circles back to Mike Rizzo. He was there with the Diamondbacks when they won their championship with Kurt Schilling. Randy Johnson had the two top aces, two best pitchers in the league at that time. And obviously he he brought that over to the Nationals where it's like, if we can have two aces, let alone three, I mean, no one's going to be able to stop us. No, no one. Um, But a lot of credit to the Nats. I can't wait for this parade this weekend. The crazy thing is, this, this series was so much fun to watch and was so entertaining that the two women flashing their titties behind home plate are going are gonna to be forgotten about. Yeah. Like, no one's even talking about it anymore. It's how crazy of a series this was. Uh, but congratulations to the Nationals. I, I hope I really am able to go to the parade tomorrow in D.C. I went, was able to go to the Caps parade. This one obviously being a little bit more special to me. I want to be able to go down there and celebrate. Without a doubt. It's going to be a shit show. I mean, people thought there was a lot of people down in D.C. for the Caps parade. I can imagine there's going to be not twice as many people because there was a lot of people down there, but damn near twice as much people for this Nats parade just because, obviously, like you said, the Caps thing was like a whole, like, oh, my God, D.C. finally got another championship. Uh, But I just feel like baseball and the Nats has been like a little smidge bigger around the area than the Capitals and hockey. So It's weird like that. Like It's hockey is like a secondary sport. It's very expensive to play. Baseball is not that expensive to play. At the end of the day, almost everyone as a little kid grows up playing baseball. Not a lot of people grow up playing hockey all the time. So baseball is a lot more dear to a lot of people's hearts. And for them to bring a World Series here for the first time, what is this, in like 70-something years? Yeah. It's going to be a shit show. I'll tell you what right now, though. I'm going to bring this to a negative front. The fact that we brought in an impeached Trump banner to a World Series game, we deserve to be slapped as a fan base. If you guys want to know why nobody in the United States respects D.C. as a sports town, it's because you cucks brought an impeached Trump banner to a World Series game. It's about the World Series. Screw politics. And to the cuck fan that talked about Trump after we won the World Series. Hey, that shit was funny. Though. It was funny. But good God, that's why nobody respects us. Because at all the time, we're supposed to be happy about sports. we got to bring negativity and politics into it. No! Can we just enjoy this? God, Nats fans, you pissed me off. Congratulations, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Let's drink. Let's have a great time. Bud lights for everybody. Let's celebrate. Now, let's depress this thing down a little bit. We got too much happiness going on here to be existing in the DMV. We got to level it out. We got to level it out. Trent Williams returned to the Redskins yesterday, and he had a lot to say. He had made up for all of the silent talk that he, he, for all the times he's been silent this offseason, he spoke up. And he said a lot of interesting things. One being, he did not want to actually answer the question if him and Bruce Allen's relationship is going to be Which everyone, fixable. Everyone kind of knew that was like a, a thing. Like no one likes Bruce anyway. So then the other thing that Trent said, which I thought was the biggest and most concerning thing, was that for two weeks, 
they for for six years this has been growing on Trent's head this little growth they told him it's not that big of a deal we'll monitor it whatever have you it continues to grow it doesn't hurt him it continues to grow and grow to the point where he's like dude I gotta got get this thing like surgically taken there's, off my head a little baby Trent on his head right it's just like it's poking out my look I gotta get it taken off so he goes they pay for him they fly him out to get it worked on then they find out it's cancerous it was actually a tumor and then the national I mean the Redskins don't pay for him to fly back yeah. Not only that, the two weeks that he was there, nobody from the Redskins front office went and actually visited Trent. So I have I've been a little bit hard on Trent. I mean, everyone has, but after hearing this, I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> do Abs, you blame him? Like, come on. You can't blame him at all. And the fact being is that it was a tumor. It was cancerous, and you should have taken care of it when he talked to you about it in 2013, yeah. six years ago. So, but this is the way the Redskins operate. For everyone out there saying that he wanted more money, he wanted a new contract, no, had nothing to do with that. He literally was, like, about to die. He, well, also, the contract actually I was know, a he, thing. He wanted guaranteed more guaranteed money, obviously. Because, but, because of, in particular, what happened to Alex Smith last yeah. year. He said, there's no way I'm going into this season with no guaranteed money this year with what happened to Alex. I, mean, I, look, could, I could break my leg and not be back in football ever again. He was quoted as saying, like, a doctor told him, get your affairs in order. So, like, that's going to play with your head, mess with yeah. your mind a little bit. So, obviously, you're playing a physical sport and a crazy, dirty sport like this. You're going to need some type of guarantees going forward. So, I don't blame him on that front. No. But for everyone saying that it's all about the money, it's all about the money, no. No. It had nothing to do with the money. This man's life was on the line. I never wanted Trent to get traded. Um, I didn't think he was ever going to get traded. I thought that this was all a hoax. I was Damn, wrong about son. that. What if this was what they were talking about whenever Bruce said, "We know the, I know the truth, I know the real deal, I know the truth. Yeah. He knew he had cancer the whole time, and it was just like, damn, we really dropped the ball on this one. Yeah. And uh, and they haven't really come out. In a, they, they released a report saying they asked the NFLPA to put in an investigation into his medical history. It's all bullshit. They're just trying to cover their ass from being sued. They screwed the pooch. They screwed. And, but the biggest takeaway, Mike, was that Trent multiple times said he had respect for Dan Snyder. Yeah. He still coveted the relationship with Dan Snyder, which tells me that Trent doesn't want to leave the Redskins. He doesn't want to not play for the Redskins. He just doesn't want to play for Bruce Allen. Yeah. And this might be the straw that broke the camel's back to get Bruce Allen out of this building. Because if Trent Williams is coming out saying, Dan, I still love you, bro. I don't want to leave. It's that dude. That's the difference. I mean, look, you can, you can, you just said it hit the nail on the head. We'll see this coming off season. What happens? Because it's going to be a power struggle between just like with uh, Tom Brady, Belichick, and Kraft. Belichick wanted to move on and keep Garoppolo. Kraft was like, "No, nah, I'm going to supersede you. We're keeping Brady. Move Garoppolo." So we're going to see this this up, uh, upcoming off season where it's going to be Trent. Are you going to get traded, or and keep Bruce here, or are you going to let go of Bruce and Trent stays here? Hopefully, it'll be the latter because Bruce has overstayed his welcome by so many years. And the Redskins right now are one in seven. Yeah. Um, not looking good. Going up against the Buffalo Bills are coming to FedEx this weekend. This is going. Is it in Washington? I think so. Yeah, it's in Buffalo. Or yeah, it's a home game. Home game. So uh, the Bills have actually taken a kind of step back on defense. They got gashed a little bit last week. I think they were able to win the game. Yeah. But they got gashed a little bit. And the Redskins um, are going to be starting Dwayne Haskins which doesn't look very good uh, given the fact that the Bills' defense is actually pretty good. Their offense is subpar. They can run the ball. Their pass the game has elevated just a little bit, but doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if they don't see enough of a glaring issue to fire Bruce, 
uh, there's no really of an issue for me to care about their record right now. <laughs> I mean, at this point, like you said, the only thing I would actually, I mean, I'm going to watch Redskins games regardless Obviously, because yeah. I'm a Redskins fan. I've been a Redskins fan my whole life. I'm going to continue to be a Redskins fan for the rest of my life. But if I had an option of watching some other game on TV, say like, well, that's the Sunday night game. I don't know. Whatever game of the week is at 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I'd probably watch that. But the simple fact that Dwayne Haston's going to be out there, I want to see what the future holds, what he, what he actually has, because the last two uh, fill-in spots he's had has been look pretty bad. So I want to see what a full week of practice does for him, a full week of preparation, and how it translates to Sunday. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that because the Bills' defense is so good that it's going to be a lot more of what we saw in before, just a little bit higher volume, maybe some little flashes here and there. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I just want to see what we have going forward with Haskins for these last – uh, what is it? Six, eight weeks, whatever. Six weeks. Yep. And seven weeks. Yeah. Seven weeks. Yeah. For these last seven weeks, and what we're gonna do with this top five pick going into the draft next year? And uh, I'm I'm also excited because everyone knows that Dwayne Haskins is gonna be starting week eleven, yeah. and he's gonna finish the season that way. Now that being said, the same person who's gonna be starting week eleven after that is Darius Geis. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be scheduled to come back. I am really excited to see how Geis, Haskins, and McLaurin all look together. I mean, look, everyone always talks about just like in basketball, you need a big three to kind of like carry your team. Obviously, basketball, you have five yeah. players on the court, so it's a little bit easier. But if you have a big three, just like the Cowboys back in the day with a good quarterback, an excellent running back, and an excellent receiver, I just I think that the offense could be able to take that next step. It's just we got to see what the running back has because he can stay healthy because we know he can carry the rock. It's just, can you stay healthy carrying the rock? Obviously, everyone knows McLaurin is a stud on the way to being a superstar. Yeah. I just so, want to see how, how the future holds. Yeah, the one uh, glaring factor is that quarterback position. And if the running back can stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's an issue right now with Adrian Peterson sidelined and Chris Thompson uh, battling an injury as I well. Even had, I was even like, for the future, like, you know what? We'll have Bryce Love. Like, even if Darius Guy doesn't pan out, we got Bryce Love waiting to cut. This man just needed another surgery on his yep. surgically. Now, ACL. this was scheduled. It was a yeah. known thing. This is why a lot of teams said we weren't going to draft him because yeah. we knew that there was another possible surgery down the road. But at the end of the day, that's just going forward. It's kind of like, you nah, already another... got injury history, yeah. surgery history. Another question mark. Another question mark going forward. But I have a lot of faith in Darius Geist. I've liked him since he was at LSU. I, just, I think he can be that guy. Yeah. But let's wrap this up. Uh, we wanted to give you a little quick uh, championship-style kind of uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be recording with Mike Reed, too. Um, he wasn't uh, up this early. But uh, we're going to be recording with Mike. He's going down to the parade as well. Um, thank you so much for everyone tuning in. Uh, we're going to finish this episode by playing the rest of the conversation we had about the Nats back on June 10th. Thank you so much for, in, uh, for tuning in, everyone. I'm Kyle. Appreciate you. I'm Mike. Redskins football. Match baseball. Woo! We'll hear the jump.